All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are continuing our AFC West crossover with the host of the Locked On Raiders podcast, your boy Q, as well as talking about whether or not Dan Quinn is a bottom tier coach in the NFL. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this world-renowned, illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's Locked On Falcons is brought to you by Built Bar. Today's flavor of the day is the orange chocolate cream. And remember, use that promo code Locked On to get ten dollars off your first box at BuiltBar.com. So today's Lockdown Falcons podcast is another AFC West crossover episode. We will be racking, wrapping up that division with the host of the Lockdown Raiders podcast, your boy Q. And we will be talking with him about the Raiders offseason. We'll be sort of touching on the Falcons offseason moves as well later on in today's episode. But today I want to sort of start things off by taking another gander at an article uh, that I saw recently at Roto World that ranked all of the NFL coaches entering 2020 and seeing Dan Quinn ranked pretty low on that list and getting into some of the reasons why he's ranked out low and getting into some of the reasons why he may be possibly able to prove those that low ranking wrong as today's Locked On Falcons lead story. So Patrick Doherty, the writer for Roto World and NBC Sports, posted a ranking of the NFL's best coaches entering 2020. And of course, to no one's surprise, Bill Belichick and Andy Reid were the top two coaches on the list, but you had to scroll pretty far down before you found Dan Quinn's name on Darty's list. Quinn came in at 23rd, which was down from 19th ranked spot. He made an appearance on this list a year ago. Now you may think, okay, there's 32 teams in the NFL. 23 is not so bad, but the reality is Darty didn't rank 32 teams. He only ranked 27, leaving the five newest hires out of his rankings entirely, which basically translate based off the coaches. He did rank Dan Quinn is considered a bottom five coach, which is tough when you consider that the Falcons have a winning record under Quinn over these last five years, who's led the team to a 43 and 37 record in that period of time. And despite that success, Quinn ranked lower than the likes of some second year coaches like Brian Flores and Cliff Kingsbury and Vic Fangio, all of whom who had losing records in their first year in the NFL in 2019. But Darty didn't really mince words when it came to some of the quotes he had writing up Quinn. And I quote, through five years, Quinn's head coaching career remains one Kyle Shanahan fueled Super Bowl run and little else. Well, that's hard to argue against that notion in the years since Shanahan's departure. The Falcons are perfectly 25 and 25 under Dan Quinn, which is the very definition of a middling team. Darty also wrote Quinn has cycled through offensive bosses since Shanahan's departure while time and again, letting his defense undermine Matt Ryan coaches who can't even take care of their own side of the ball tend to not last long. That is notable given that you're coming off a 2019 season where Dan Quinn took over defensive play calling to start the year. And it resulted in a very bad defense through the first nine weeks of the NFL season before Dan Quinn officially demoted himself from defensive play calling duties. The Falcons ranked 30th in points allowed. They ranked 31st in red zone efficiency 
and 32nd and third down efficiency on defense a year ago. And the fact that Dan Quinn couldn't handle those responsibilities of fixing the Falcons defense a year ago. And only we saw improvement on that defensive side of the ball. Once he sort of had promoted wide receivers, coach Raheem Morris to defensive play caller is certainly not really helping Quinn's case against Doherty's low ranking. Doherty adds Quinn's shelf life has already been longer than he could have reasonably expected. Quinn's players seem to enjoy playing for him, but his opponents enjoy playing against him even more. Not every coach gets a fair shake. Quinn has and failed. It will soon be time for the Falcons to move on. Now, when you look at certain sports books, they don't love Quinn's chances of sticking around in Atlanta for very long. According to a website like bookies.com, Quinn has the fourth best odds or fourth worst odds, depending on your perspective uh, of being the first coach to be fired this upcoming season behind Matt Patricia, who Doherty ranked 26th in his rankings, Doug Marone, who Doherty had 27th in that last spot. And then Adam Gase, who was 25th in Doherty's rankings. Of course, expectations are pretty high that Dan Quinn will have to lead the Falcons back to the postseason in 2020 in order to keep his job this season. Perhaps Quinn's experience gives him a bit of a leg up given the fact that COVID-19 has shut down teams and shut out players from their usual offseason programs this year. Perhaps a more experienced coach like Quinn will be able to better navigate this than other less experienced coaches. Maybe that's the case, but regardless, the pressure is certainly on Quinn to prove that he can get this Falcon team back on track in 2020 and potentially make a move up in next year's rankings and prove Darty's rankings wrong. So there you guys have it as your locked on Falcons lead story. We will come back and get into the conversation with uh, your boy Q, the host of locked on Raiders podcast coming up in just a moment. But I know when you guys hear the term protein bar, you, you're not thinking of something that is particularly tasty. It might be gritty, something that you eat because you know it's healthy for you, but something that you don't particularly enjoy eating. Well, I don't think you have to worry about that anymore because Built Bar has created a protein bar that is just as healthy, in fact, healthier than their competition, but tastes just like a candy bar. They have all real chocolate in them. They come in a variety of flavors. I personally love the peanut butter flavor, the coconut almond. They taste just like candy bars, Reese's Cups, Almond Joys. But guess what? They only have three grams of sugar in them, 20 grams of protein and less than 150 calories. So you can guys can get in on this great tasting candy bar, like protein bar by heading over to builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked on to get $10 off your first order over 15 flavors from you to choose from. All of them have a great taste. Again, use that promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. So, guys, it's another AFC West, NFC South crossover. I'm, of course, Aaron Freeman, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, and I am joined by your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. Q, man, looking forward to talking a little bit more about these AFC West, NFC South crossovers, sort of wrapping up the week uh, as far as things goes. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. I'm I'm excited about talking with you, uh, all things, you know, NFC South and, of course, Atlanta Falcons and you know, as I've been seeing on Twitter and a, a few messages have been rolled out so far from different folks in NFL-wise talking about the first four games of the season are going to be NFC and, and AFC. So I'm assuming that uh, the Falcons and the Raiders are going to be scheduled for one of the first four games of the season. So I'm pretty excited about it. Sounds like it should be a, a very early matchup. And uh, like I said, excited to talk about uh, just the teams in general. 
Absolutely. So I want to get your thoughts on some of the, the big sort of topics that at least looking from afar, the Raiders this offseason, you know, the first one, you got to talk about the quarterback position. And I would say Derek Carr is coming off arguably his best season in the pro so far. But I can't help but notice next offseason is the first one in which the Raiders could potentially move on from Carr without sort of incurring a significant uh, cap penalty as far as dead money goes. Should we be reading into this Marcus Mariota signing? Is this kind of a make-break year for Derek Carr? Um, I don't know if the Mariota signing makes it a make-break year, and I don't really know if it's a make-break. I think last year really was kind of that one for uh, John Gruden and Derek Carr, and I think Derek Carr did as well as he could with the weapons and the the people and personnel that were around him. So I think that John Gruden genuinely likes Derek Carr, and I think he thinks he can get a whole lot out of him. And really, it's funny. I'm glad that we're talking today because I I look at Derek Carr – and I, I kind of look at him as the same, in the same light as I look at Matt Ryan. You know, I mean, this fan base is never going to be happy with him. Now, I know Matt Ryan has an MVP and he played in the Super Bowl. But at some point, it just feels like that they're never really happy with what he's doing. And it's always, it could be better. It could be better. It could be better. And it can. Don't get me wrong. It can be. But for the most part, Derek Carr has done what he's supposed to do. I think that there's a lot of weapons now put around him by what the Raiders were able to do in the offseason. It's year three with John Gruden. I think he's going to continue to get better and better in this system. And I think Marcus Mariota has been brought in, and you're starting to see more teams around the league do this, brought in in case of emergency break glass. You know, have that good good uh, veteran backup quarterback. You know, I mean, similar to what we saw in Philadelphia when they went on the run to the Super Bowl, what we see going on right now in Dallas with uh, Andy Dalton being the backup quarterback. I think that there's a lot of good decisions being made by teams to go and get those veteran quarterbacks just in case. I mean, Jameis Winston is in New Orleans on a $1 million deal, which is ridiculous, but he's there. I mean, there's there's so many backup quarterbacks that are quality guys. And, you know, Atlanta's had backup quarterbacks that are really, really quality dudes that have at least at one point in their career, you know, been quality as well. So I just kind of think that that's what's going on. Mariota was a victim, not a victim, but he was a guy that, you know, uh, he, he, he kind of, understood how that went last year. You know, with Ryan Tannehill behind him, he didn't play very well. And so they said, you know what, I trust we can turn it over to, to Ryan and he'll be able to lead this team and, and, and not be a, you know, not be the reason why this team loses. I mean, he can actually help this team win games. So Marcus should be that guy just in case something happens and Derek Carr trips and falls and it's not, you know, it's not a good thing. And, and it's just, it's not some scrub that you throw out there that just is a backup by name like Mike Glennon or Nate Peterman, or Deshaun Kaiser, and now Kaiser and Glennon are both gone, but still, Peterman's still there, and that guy threw five interceptions and one half of football, so I don't think that's the guy you want to trust with the with the franchise if you have to, so I just think that he's really a good insurance policy, and, uh, you know, I think he'll just kind of also help Derek Carr push him to be a, to be the best he can be, maximize his, uh, his abilities. Now, you talked a little bit about the weapons that they added this offseason, and, and those include some some playmakers at the wide receiver position. You obviously, you have Henry Ruggs, the top receiver drafted this year. You signed Nelson Aguilar. You drafted Brian Edwards out of South Carolina later in the draft. You get Lynn Bowden Jr., who's basically you know a running back, wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner, uh, wildcat quarterback. Basically, he's an OW, an offensive weapon. I'm, I'm curious, do you, you feel like these are the players that are going to be able to add that sort of explosiveness to the Raiders' offense that it seemed like at times last year they were struggling to generate those type of big plays? 
Without a doubt. You know, I mean, again, John Gruden really kind of set himself up last season where he thought he was going to have Antonio Brown and he had been in the lab working on a bunch of plays and he wanted to have a lot of uh, calls and, and, you know, get the ball to Antonio Brown and let Antonio Brown get crazy. Well, he got crazy. All right. But he didn't get crazy in the way that John Gruden wanted him to on the field. He ended up, you know, just kind of getting into it with the team, getting into it with the GM. He's gone. He goes to New England and, you know, quickly gone after that as well. But uh, they just didn't have that explosive guy last year. You know, Josh Jacobs, the running back, the rookie running back at the time, was really, really good, but it was so predictable that he was going to be the number one offensive weapon for John Gruden. It's feed Josh Jacobs, feed Josh Jacobs. And he did a good job, went over 1,100 yards, but there just wasn't there wasn't enough explosion. There wasn't enough weapons around on the field that kind of made defense play you straight up. Instead, they, they kind of crowded the line of scrimmage. They knew what was coming. Darren Waller had a nice breakout season for him at the tight end position, but he's not a guy that's going to just wreck a game. You know, he's not going to take the top off of defense. He's not going to allow you to do too many tricky things, you know, just as far as just getting creative on offense. Now you bring in Henry Ruggs, who's got speed for days. He also can catch the ball. You know, he's not just a, a track star. He's a, he's a football player, but he's got speed. Uh, you mentioned some of the rookies. Edwards, I think he's going to do really well in the red zone. I think he's going to be that big body that can go up and get the, the 50-50 balls. And it's funny, I heard uh, Will Muschamp talk about Brian Edwards and that 50-50 ball. He said it's not really a 50-50 ball when, when he goes up for it. It's more like an 80-20 ball. You know, he's going to go get that ball nine times out of ten or eight times out of ten. So that – is very exciting because that opens up the opportunities. The Raiders weren't very good in the uh, in the red zone in 2019, so I think that that's going to open up what they can do there. Darren Waller will see more one-on-one coverage. Josh Jacobs will see uh, less eight men in the box and see the box clean more often. He'll be able to you know get loose as far as the run game goes a little bit better. So, uh, yeah, I think with what they were able to do by way of the draft and also free agency, it really just opens up this offense and allows John Gruden to be not so predictable. Just go out there and do what he do, and, and you know defenses have to play you straight up and be aware that there's a lot of speed on the field now. Now I want to get your thoughts on their top or their second selection in round one on cornerback Damon Arnett. I had heard rumors that the Raiders really liked AJ Terrell and were potentially looking at taking him with that the latter of those two uh, first round picks at pick number nineteen. Had the Falcons not been able to snag him at pick sixteen, I'm curious to get your thoughts on on those rumors as well as what do you sort of feel like the team is getting in, in Arnett. You know, it's funny. I thought that they were going to get A.J. Terrell as well. I kept looking the whole time, and, and I kept saying leading up to the draft that that's the guy that I'm picking at number 19. I, I had picked a wide receiver at 12. I had actually picked C.D. Lamb. I didn't think that they were going to go with Ruggs, but they went with Ruggs, which is great. That's a lot of speed, so it made me feel good about the, the offense and that they can get creative. But uh, as far as number 19, I thought, yeah, A.J. Terrell was going to be the guy. They love their Clemson guys. Team him up back with Trayvon Mullen. Well, as you know very well that the Falcons made that move at 16. So Damon Arnett was not on my radar. I'm not going to be one of those that front and say, oh, yeah, he, I, he's a stud. And I knew he was the guy. I had no idea. You know, I, I didn't know that he was going to be a first-round pick. I thought he'd be picked a little bit later. But Mike Mayock, John Gruden, they all say that that's their guy. That was the guy that they wanted. And they didn't have another pick after number 19 until pick 80. So they said, you know what, if we had traded back, we probably could have got our guy. But then again, there's a slight opportunity that we would have missed out on our guys. So we just went ahead and took him at number 19. Some might look at him as a reach, but that's the guy we wanted. John Gruden said that he's very physical. He's a he's a modern day, you know, bump and run guy. He, he actually he has that old school bump and run guy type mentality where he beats you up at the line of scrimmage and makes you earn every catch that you get. And so if that's the guy you're getting, a very physical corner, I'm good with that. You know, the last time they took Ohio State corner, it was Gary on Conley, and he was a guy that 
did not like to tackle. I mean, he's just not a tackler, and that's I didn't like that. That rubbed me the wrong way because you've got to be out there in this day and age of football where there's bubble screens, there are quick outs, there's a lot of things that are coming your way quick, fast, and in a hurry. You've got to be able to put your nose in there and tackle. Well, the good thing about Arnett is he's very, very physical at the line of scrimmage, and uh, he's going to press man you, and he might not be the fastest dude, but I think that he's going to be a really good one. I'm excited about what he brings to the Raiders' defense. Paul Gunther and, and, and uh, the rest of the defense, what they can do with him, just because I feel like he's going to go out there day one, hold down one of the spots across from Trayvon Mullen, and just be that guy, you know, just be a a, a, a bully almost on, on the corner. If they can get that guy, kind of go back to the old school feel of uh, what Al Davis used to have with his teams, you know, the bigger, faster, stronger guys, but also football players at the same time. So I think he brings a lot to the table. He's actually one of my favorite picks that the Raiders had in the draft this past season or this past year. Now, look, look at the defensive free agents that the team was able to pick up this offseason. The Raiders were particularly active there. I'm, I'm curious to sort of get your thoughts on some of those moves and, and some of those pickups there. Well, Corey Littleton was uh, extremely large to get him. I mean, that was really, to me, it was almost unbelievable. You know, the first linebacker that they picked up was Nick Kukowski from the Chicago Bears, and I thought, okay, that's good because linebacking is an issue for the Raiders. I mean, really, really a major issue issue they uh they need to clean up that room so I thought that that took him out of the out of the running for Corey Littleton because he was basically linebacker number one as far as free agency goes everyone apparently well at least that's what the reports were were that they were going after him gunning for him Green Bay wanted him a lot of different teams were going to gun for his services and the Raiders are able to pick him up after they got Nick Wachowski so now you have two new linebackers to put into that room that made you uh, or gave you the ability to go into the draft and not have to worry about, okay, got to go get a linebacker at number 19. I thought that they were going to have to go get Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray at 19 before free agency. Once they were able to make those moves in free agency, I thought, okay, now number 19 is wide open like, you know, some old school TV antennas. And so that's what happened. They were able to go ahead and and free it up and do something that was a little bit less predictable. And they go and get, uh, you know, Damon Arnett, the defensive back out of Ohio State. So I just thought that what they did defensively in the in free agency was smart when they, they uh, fixed up that linebacking room. They also went and picked up Malik Collins from the Cowboys, who I think is a very under-the-radar sneaky pick, and it's only a, a one-year signing. But this is a guy that, that can you know do some damage in the middle of that defensive line. Rod Marinelli comes over as well from Dallas as a defensive coordinator, so he knows what he can get out of Malik Collins. And, you know, you, you know very well as Dan Quinn is the, the head coach of the Falcons, he's a defensive-minded guy, uh, a lot of the pressure that, that you'll see from teams is up the gut. If you can get that pressure on the quarterback up the gut, that's when they're uncomfortable. And the Raiders have struggled in doing that as of late. So I think Malik Collins is going to be a guy that can bring that pressure up the gut. Rod Marinelli is going to get the most out of him. And, uh, you know, he's just going to go ahead and help out that defense again. And the Raiders' defense has really struggled for many years. I mean, really, even though they had Khalil Mack, and he led the league in sacks one year and, and had 15 sacks one year. Or he didn't lead the league, but he had 15 sacks and one defensive player of the year. The defense still wasn't very good. It just created a bunch of turnovers. So if they can get that defense to be actually a really good uh, unit and not be a liability, they can uh, they, they can win some extra games. You know, They won seven games last season with a bad defense. If that defense could be just you know a little bit better, shave off seven points a game, you're winning eight, nine, ten games without a doubt. And so I just think that uh, what they were able to do defensively in the draft and in free agency is really going to help this team go a long way. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you look at sort of the Raiders over the last three years and all the questions that were initially raised when John Gruden first came there and some of the personnel changes that he made coming into the building and sort of seeing what looks to be steady progress 
uh, on an upward trend for this team the last couple of seasons. So it will be interesting to sort of see what um, type of team the Raiders are able to field in 2020. And as you said earlier, it, it seems like all indications are that we'll get an opportunity to see them square off with the Falcons pretty early in the season. So certainly uh, two teams that will have an opportunity to uh, hit the ground running early in the season and, and, and sort of clash with one another to see who's sort of both vying for playoff spots and, and see who's sort of in a better position, at least in the early going of the season. And uh, on that note, we will uh, come back and talk a little bit more about the Falcons uh, later on this AFC West NFC South crossover. So I know you guys are sitting here, Mother's Day's coming up and you're probably thinking about your mom or the lady in your life and trying to find the best present to give that person. And, you know, maybe you're tired of just giving the same old flowers every year. And uh, maybe you want to give something that is a little bit more meaningful that the lady in your life that you love will actually enjoy and also promotes a pretty good cause. And I think you guys should think about gifting her the new fiction book, the henna artist. And in that book, of course, the lady that you love will enjoy that book because they get to travel to exotic 1950s India, be able to sample the food, uh, be able to enjoy the perils of raising a teenager during that setting. And of course, the henna artist is Reese Witherspoon's book club pick for the month of May. But where the good cause comes in is where if you purchase that book and then all throughout the month of May, if you or your mom or your significant other, whichever lady that you are intending to honor with this great book, all I have to do is take a picture of the book or the ebook posted on Instagram or Facebook, tag the author at the Alka Joshi, and the author will then donate four meals per post up to 10,000 meals will go to feeding America, which is a great charity great donation. So not only are you giving the lady that you love a great gift, but it's also for a good cause. So go ahead, buy the henna artist today at your favorite bookseller, including Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, Target, and make your mom the ultimate winner in your family this Mother's Day. Welcome back to another edition of the Divisional Crossover, talking all things NFC South. Earlier in the show, talked all things Raiders. Now it's time to turn our attention to the Atlanta Falcons. And to help me do that is Aaron Freeman, host of Locked On Falcons. You can actually find him on Twitter at FalcFans, at F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. And again, this is the Divisional Crossover here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Been having a lot of fun doing that. And uh, Aaron, when I think of the Falcons off top, I think about Dan Quinn. I know we came over from Seattle. I was really excited, and I really enjoyed that hire. I thought that was a good hire. The guy's a defensive dude. He takes that mentality to the to the Falcons. But ever since they made that run to the Super Bowl and, and obviously lost that, that, that lead that they had over the Patriots, it just seems like the team, for one reason or the other, has kind of just stubbed their toe or hasn't been able to kind of get over the hump. What, in your opinion, has been the biggest issue for the Falcons the last couple seasons? Well, it's it's a multifaceted issue, uh, Q. Um, I think one of the big parts uh, has been the simple answer is a big reason why they went on that run to the Super Bowl 
uh, was because of the play calling of Kyle Shanahan getting the most out of that offense that year. And they had put up a historic uh, type of production that year. And they just really haven't been able to get that back on track. And they're coming off a season in 2019 in particular, where their offense looked the weakest and the most mundane it had been in the year since then, after two years under Steve Sarkeesian and this last year, this first year under Dirk Cutter. So they need to get that back on track because that has been really the guiding principle, even though Dan Quinn is a defensive minded coach, the Falcons throughout the Matt Ryan era for the last 12 plus years have primarily been driven and their success has been primarily driven by their offense. So that's been a big problem for them. They just haven't really had a great output there and they've had some issues with some identity issues which I think were particularly prevalent last year and then you talk about Dan Quinn and defense and the reality is there was bright hopes for the defense starting to come together in back in 2016 and it just really hasn't progressed in the major way a lot of the young players that were sort of key contributors on that defense back then didn't really progress over the last couple of years as much as you would like players like Vic Beasley and Devondre Campbell both of those guys are now gone in free agency you've had other young players that were sort of instrumental to those defenses early on in 2016 and 2017 when the Falcons were a playoff team like Deion Jones and Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen have dealt with injuries the last couple of years, particularly Neal, who's basically missed, I think, like 28 games over the last two seasons combined due to ACL tears and, and Achilles tears last year. So th- that's been a big problem. So you're you're seeing sort of the older uh, veteran players that were part of those defenses, like the Desmond Trufants and the Robert Alford's being replaced as well. And sort of the players that have sort of been asked to step into those roles, like Isaiah Oliver, like Kendall Sheffield, two draft picks the Falcons have had the last two uh, years, didn't quite live up to expectations and fill those shoes. And now they're hoping that players like uh, A.J. Terrell can sort of fill the shoes of Desmond Trufant. You you wind up picking up a player like Marlon Davidson in round two that you're hoping can sort of fill the shoes of someone like an Adrian Claiborne, who's been a p- pivotal part of their pass rush and being able to pressure the quarterback. And now you have like Dante Fowler trying to step in to the void and, and sort of be that go-to pass rusher that Vic Beasley never really turned into. So it's really been a combination of a variety of factors, but there's some reason for optimism that maybe with some of the personnel changes that they've gone through this off season, that maybe they can get things back on track. But I think a lot of it has to do with this coaching staff, not really getting the most out of the players the last couple of years as they did uh, uh, several years ago. How much of a run, how, how deep of a run does Dan Quinn need to make in 2020 as far as keeping his job there in Atlanta? Well, what was interesting is I was utterly convinced that the Falcons were going to move on from Dan Quinn after last season because in Arthur Blank, who's been the Falcons owner since 2002, no coach has ever survived two non-winning seasons in a row. Basically, and that was the situation with Dan Quinn with two seventy-nine seasons. It was like, well, he's done and the Falcons are going to move on. And then Arthur Blank came out basically, I think, the Friday before the week 16 or week 17 game and said, nope, Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitrov, the general manager, they're coming back for another year. And so it feels like the same parameters that existed a year ago sort of exist over this 2020 season where they're going to have to – it's playoffs or bust. Um, But at the same time, because sort of the precedent was broken last year, there's a scenario where I could imagine the Falcons maybe finishing like 8-8 and or something like that. And now because of the expanded playoff format, maybe like one game out of – 
that seven seed or something like that. And Arthur Blank deciding, you know what? We got so close. It came down to maybe like the last game or something like that. And, uh, you know, let's let's run it back one more time. But I think more than likely the, the situation is they have to make the playoffs or else they're moving on. I know that the Falcons, they were in the running for uh, Robert Quinn, the, the free agent out of, from the Cowboys, and he ends up going to Chicago. But you mentioned earlier Dante Fowler. That was a free agent edge rusher that they were able to land. How big was it to land Dante Fowler, and, and how much juice do you think he brings to that uh, that Falcons defense? Yeah, you know, for me personally, I think Robert Quinn has – over the course of his career, proven himself to be a little bit more of a consistent sort of speed rusher off the edge than Dante Fowler has. Dante Fowler is really sort of coming off of a, a career year, but prior to that was kind of a mixed bag in, in Jacksonville, similar to the Falcons pass rusher of Vic Beasley, the aforementioned Beasley. Um, and so you wonder if, if, Last year's production with Fowler sort of operating on that one-year prove-it deal in L.A. is a little bit of fool's gold and him, you know, sort of coming alive in sort of that contract year. And now that he's gotten paid, he'll fall back down to earth a little bit. That is a legitimate concern with him. But I think really at this point, the Falcons, as I often say on Lockdown Falcons, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And the Falcons really need a difference maker as far as their pass rush goes. And sort of I would feel a little bit more confident with Robert Quinn just because he has a much longer body of work. But Fowler's a younger guy. At least you can make the argument based off of his performance the last couple of years. He's an ascending player that could wind up being very productive for this Falcon team over a longer period of time than maybe someone like Quinn who's already in his 30s. So I feel like Fowler is a good get for the Falcons and something – that they desperately needed to have somebody that could bring a little bit more consistency and reliability as a speed rusher off the edge. You know, I, I didn't even think of this until right now, but uh, Jadavion Clowney is still out there. He's still available, former number one overall pick with the Houston Texans. He was in Seattle last year. He looked for the big payday. He didn't get the big payday, and he's still a free agent. Uh, any thoughts that maybe the Falcons try to kick the tires and see what uh, Clowney wants and maybe bring him in on a cheaper deal? Well, you know, that's music to a lot of Falcon fans' ears. I think the issue the Falcons going to run into is just price tag. The big okay. obstacle with, with Clowney is how much he's been offered, you know, how much he's been rumored to be wanting, you know, it's 20 million a year now. It's maybe like 17 million a year. The Falcons do have some cap space coming to them later in June when Desmond Trufant's uh, contract comes off the books since he was a post June one uh, release earlier this offseason. So they got about 11 million, a little shy of $11 million coming to them in terms of cap space. I don't know if that's going to be enough for them to go after someone like a Clowney, but I was at least semi-optimistic coming out of this draft that they would be potentially pursue somebody like a Cam Wake or an Everson Griffin or a Marcus Golden or Jabal Sheard or somebody of that ilk that they could probably get in here on the sort of a short-term veteran deal to come in and sort of show some of these younger pass rushers that the Falcons have, um, you know, the ropes similar to what Dwight Freeney did to this team back in 2016 uh, when he was able to help guide players like Vic Beasley and, and Grady Jarrett back then. But then the Falcons went out and traded for Charles Harris, sent a seventh round pick. And right. you wonder if after making that move, are they really in the market now to go out there and get another pass rusher that would sort of overlap that position? So I would love to see it as far as Clowney or any of these other sort of top tier pass rushers that are still out there on the market. But right now, it doesn't seem like that's in the cards based off of the moves the Falcons have made so far. Talking Falcons right now with Aaron Freeman, host of Locked On Falcons, as we continue this divisional crossover on the Locked On Podcast Network. And 
There were a lot of rumors and reports leading up to the draft about the Falcons going to trade up and go get C.J. Henderson. They're going to go, you know, trade up into the top 10. And they didn't. They sat at number 16. They made the pick. They went after defensive back A.J. Terrell from Clemson. We talked about that a couple times. One, how surprised were you they didn't trade up? And two, what are your thoughts on A.J. Terrell? What does he bring to the table? How does he fit in on that defensive side of the ball for the Falcons? Well, Q, I'm, I'm one of the handful of people that wasn't very surprised that the Falcons didn't trade up because it seems like every year, ever since that big blockbuster trade they made for Julio Jones back in 2011, that every year the Falcons are rumored to be a team looking to, to make a big trade up because they did it once upon a time. And most years that doesn't come true. And, you know, they've made some sort of minor trades, giving up a third to, to jump up in 2013 to get Desmond Trufant or 2017 for Tack McKinley or to trade back in around one last year to get Kayla McGarry. So that type of trade up seemed semi-realistic based off of their history that they could maybe give up a third to maybe leapfrog a team like the Raiders at 12 if they were afraid that the Raiders were going to take someone like an A.J. Terrell. But I kind of thought that all along that A.J. Terrell was their guy, you know, talk of them making the big bold trade just I think was a lot of hype and we saw in the draft that you know all the talk for teams looking to move up didn't really come to fruition because what the first 13 14 picks came off the board without a single trade so it was one of those things where I wasn't particularly surprised that the Falcons decided to stay put and take a a pretty good player in AJ Terrell that I think brings a lot to what they want at the cornerback position and hopefully can sort of infuse a little bit more production and consistency at that cornerback position that they haven't gotten from the guys that I mentioned earlier from Isaiah Oliver and Kendall Sheffield. I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I, I fell for the banana in the tailpipe. I thought that there was going to be a lot of trades, a lot of moving and shaking early. And, and there wasn't, you're right. There wasn't any draft or there wasn't any trades early in the draft. And it just kind of made me scratch my head. Like, why do I believe these rumors every year that all these teams are going to make trades? And then they never do until the back end of the first round. But uh, yeah, it was good for you to be spot on with that. And, Sticking with A.J. Terrell as the first-round pick, number 16 overall, would you say that he was the most important pick, or was there someone that you feel like could have a bigger impact for the Falcons moving forward? Well, I think just by the the sheer fact that the Falcons' cornerback position was pretty thin, uh, having lost Desmond Trufant, who is coming off an injury-playing season, but when he was you know, healthy and on the field last year, played reasonably well outside of maybe one or two games uh, a year ago, and, you know, I think the – one of the things I've said on, on a bunch of these crossovers, but when you look at the sort of disparity of the Falcons pass defense in terms of, you know, what opposing quarterbacks passer rating was or when Desmond Trufant was on the field versus off the field was a huge sort of night and day difference and sort of the decision to cut him opened up a massive void at that position in my eyes because of how impactful he was when he was on the field last year. So I feel like just by default, AJ Terrell is the most important draft pick that he had. But at the same time, I do feel like Marlon Davidson is a very important pick for this team. Uh, They needed sort of a a fourth wheel in their pass rush after picking up Dante Fowler and to join with guys like Grady Jarrett and Tack McKinley already on the team. And they were missing that with the loss of Adrian Claiborne, who proved last year to be their second most reliable pass rusher um, for this team behind Grady Jarrett. And sort of in order for this pass rush to make significant strides forward, they needed to sort of fill that void and have someone that could help uh, push the interior of this defensive uh, line in the same way that Grady Jarrett does. Because when you look at a player like Dante Fowler, when he's been at his most successful, whether that been in LA or Jacksonville, it's always seemed to be when he's had a lot of uh, reliable 
interior push up the middle of the pocket with guys like Calais Campbell and Malik Jackson and Aaron Donald because so much of his game is reliant on sort of that outside speed rush that he's sort of forcing quarterbacks to step up in the pocket. And then you sort of need those two guys in the middle to sort of create the havoc um, on the interior to sort of clean up those plays. And obviously, you know, you have a guy like Aaron Donald who's single handedly is, was worth like two or three really good D tackles. And while Grady Jarrett is one of the better ones in the league, you know, he's not quite on the Aaron Donald level. So getting, sort of a running mate with him in Marlon Davids, I think was important for this Falcons defense specifically when you consider the question marks that they have at the cornerback position. If you want to sort of mask some issues there, it's it's ideal that you can get uh, pressure on the quarterback. And I think Davidson does really help them. So I, I really feel like the Terrell pick and the Davidson pick so, sort of work in tandem to hopefully solve some of their uh, past defensive issues. So, guys, that's where we're leaving it today. And if it seems like it's a little bit abrupt for me to cut in at this point in the middle of a conversation, uh, that's because it is. And uh, me and Q wound up talking for like 25 minutes and I wound up didn't want to make this episode super, super long. So there's basically like 12 minutes of content additional of me talking about the Falcons and you can get sort of my thoughts on the changes to the running game with the introduction of Todd Gurley. You can get my thoughts on expectations on Matt Ryan. You can get my thoughts on how much actual improvement I think the Falcons have made this off season and whether this upcoming 2020 season sort of relies on the coaching staff. You get my thoughts on where the Falcons stand in terms of power ranking the NFC South. Some of these topics I've discussed already on Lockdown Falcons over the last couple of weeks. But if you want a refresher on that, then of course you can check out all that good content and the Lockdown Raiders podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Whatever you're listening to me talk right now, you can find Lockdown Raiders on that very same platform. And so you can get that roughly 12 minutes of additional Falcons content on Locked On Raiders with your boy Q, but I just didn't want today's episode to linger too long. So we will sort of duck out there at that point. And uh, tomorrow's episode will feature sort of my reaction to the Falcons 2020 schedule. And as we've hinted already on today's episodes, the early reports are suggesting that we know the AFC West teams will be the first four teams up for the Falcons in 2020, which is similar to how their 2016 schedule was structured. So I'm sure we will get into that potentially on tomorrow's episode as well. But if you guys have any feedback that you want to provide for me, any questions you want to provide for me, uh, of course, you can send those in either via Twitter at Lockdown Falcons or Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send them in via email. The email address is LockdownFalcons at mail.com. And so we will be back tomorrow with a rapid reaction to the 2020 schedule. And then we'll be back next week to kick off another set of crossovers, this time with the NFC North teams. So until then, guys. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.